Psalm chapter 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for this day to come together as your people. We ask you to take full control of this service. Fill this building with your presence and an awareness of your presence. We need to hear from you today. Make your message clear to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> of course, a focus on verse 12 is appropriate today as we begin to celebrate the birth date of our country. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Of course, we would all like to say very quickly, that's us. That's America. That's the United States. However, there's a lot more involved in becoming a blessed nation than simply making a proclamation. There's more than becoming a blessed nation than just printing a motto on our money. What's involved in becoming this nation that looks at God and says, that is our Lord? Well, several things involved in this passage of scripture and we find out it's not a government thing at all. It's a private thing. It's a personal thing. It's an individual thing. You know, I found out a long time ago, there's not a whole lot I can do to control what's going on in the White House. And obviously, there's not a lot anybody can do to control that man's phone either, is there? I mean, we're talking about things are happening in the White House nobody can control. But I can, happen what hap I can control what happens in my heart. And you see, all of this about the nation being blessed and looking at God and saying, He is our God, that all happens on the individual level, not in Congress, not in the White House, not in the Senate. What's involved? 
Well, first of all, we need to have a respect for his word. It begins in this passage of scripture. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in truth. You know, it's important for us to have respect for his word because if we're going to worship God as God and the Lord as the maker of all the universe, we need to know who he is. There is no other source of information concerning God than his word. Now I know people will say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? I agree. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, but the Holy Spirit will never reveal anything outside of this. And if we're going to know as a people, as a nation, as a family, as a church, who God is, it's going to come from right here in his word. This passage of scripture said, the word of the Lord is right. The New International Version, some of you have that version, says the word of the Lord is right and true. The New American Standard Version says the word of the Lord is upright. The Hebrew word means the word of the Lord is straight and not crooked. It is straight. What that means is God means what he says. And his word is right, regardless of who does or does not agree with it. Regardless of who does or does not care to read it. God's word is true. This same passage of scripture says, and all his work is done in truth. I like what the New International says. He is faithful. In all that he does. Says, That's the word of the Lord. And if we're going to be a nation. Who can point at the Lord and say that's our God. We must as a people have a respect for God's word. And acknowledge God's word is right. The word reveals several things about God. As is outlined in this psalm. First of all, it says the Lord is the God of creation. In verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together in a heap. He lays the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear him. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood Fast. God is the God of all creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were created. If you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And the Lord said, Let there be light. And just by the word of God, it was light. And the word, Lord said, Let the seas divide and the dry land appear. And it was done. And the Lord said, Let the seas teem with life. And it was done. Over and over, God said it and it was done. If we as a people are going to worship God as God, we must acknowledge the truth that all we see, all we visualize, everything that has been made was made by him and he spoke it into existence. Now somebody might say, well, wait a minute, Brother Eric, what about science? Well, let's look at some science, some scientific evidence. Let's look all the way back into the book of Job 
chapter 12. Job chapter 12, verse 7. Job chapter 12, verse 7. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, and whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So what the book of Job says is this. Go ahead and look at science. Look at the animal life. Look at the earth. Look at geology. Look all around at all the natural evidence and you will come to the conclusion God has done this. Now by now you're saying, well, what cave are you living in? Everybody knows that science is leading away from that. Absolutely not. Now, scientists are turning away from God and scientism, which is a religious component of the scientific evidence that says there is no God because science is showing this. We're talking about the same evidence. And the Bible says you look at the evidence truthfully and you'll see that God exists. Well, what about what's going on here? Did you know Paul 2,000 years or so ago, God's word predicted exactly what we're seeing would happen. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20. Romans, chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Paul begins to echo what Job said. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Then skip down to verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. 
who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such thing and deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. What did the Apostle Paul say? The Apostle Paul said this, all of the evidence, all of nation, nature, all of creation points to the evidence that God did this, but then there will be a group that sees the same evidence and says, Here's what we see, and it all says that God didn't exist, and God didn't do this. And then he says this, and here's the result of that. And the result of that is listed in verse 29 through the end of the chapter. You could rip those words right out of the headline. So you say, well, well, what's the solution then? That we believe in something that science refutes? Absolutely not. Science, truthfully looked at, never ever refutes the fact of God of all creation. In fact, there are many scientists, brilliant minds of chemistry, biology, mathematics, who look at the same evidence and say a spontaneous creation of life is impossible. It's impossible. Let's look at some of the evidence. Now, in order to prove there's no God, listen to this. In order to prove there's no God, the scientism will say all of these components of life are all floating around and spontaneously combined to the point where life was made. That's the theory. The most brilliant scientific minds in the most developed laboratories ever developed are trying to replicate that. And they're saying, we're almost there. And the fact that we're almost there shows there's no God. Excuse me. So you're saying an intelligent mind with a deliberate effort, with deliberate equipment, with the ingredients already there, can't do what you're saying happened by accident. We can't quite get it. The most intelligent minds can't do what they said happened by accident. Now, scientists rightfully applying their knowledge have revealed that in order for the most primitive life form to form and to come into existence required at least seven complex amino acids to combine in a particular order spontaneously. Not one combines and then another floats along. 17 very complex amino acids have to combine in sequence simultaneously. Mathematicians have looked at that. And they have said, here's the mathematical probability of that happened by accident. Everybody know what a Rubik's Cube is? Now, anybody ever solve that Rubik's Cube? You have to be looking at it. In order for this to happen, like the godless group says, that would mean that a person blindfolded would have to be able to solve the Rubik's Cube. No, no, not that. It's even more complex than that. They said five blindfolded individuals would have to be working on the Rubik's Cube and have to solve it 
simultaneously to match the mathematic probability that life emerged spontaneously with no intelligent design. Now, how probable is that? Somebody might say, well, you put the mathematical equation and it could possibly happen. Well, the mathematicians have looked at that and they have said, even at the estimated age of the world of 4.5 billion years, the world hadn't been here long enough. It's mathematically impossible for the Big Bang Theory to have happened as they said and life to spontaneously emerge from nothing. It's impossible. True scientists look at this and see God had to do it. In fact, there was a scientist, his main name is Francis Collins. He's the one who mapped out the human genome. He was an atheist until he mapped out the human genome and he found out how complex all of that is. And he said, this is nothing less than the fingerprint of God Almighty. Isn't that something? You see, when you take the evidence where it leads, you take the evidence where it leads, you have to be intellectually honest and say there is a God. However, the world and unfortunately our nation has turned away from intellectual honesty and always seems to always push that there is no God because the science says so. But the science rightfully observed says the Lord is the Lord of all creation and blessed is the nation whose Lord is their God. And by acknowledging him as our God, we have to come to the point of God is the author of all creation. That's the God of scriptures. That's the God that we look to. Secondly, the Lord is the God of all history. He's the God of man's world. See, there's this notion that somehow, someway, God has to be invited in, given permission to run our affairs. But look over in verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God's always fighting against a nation trying to do something. Speaking of the nations that are ungodly. I think one word is the heathen, the ungodly nations. Let me tell you this. A quick look through history will tell you that the strongest empires of the earth have focused all of their resources in extinguishing God's people. Throughout the history of the Hebrew people, the strongest empires of the entire earth, more numerous than the Hebrew people, with more equipment and more resources tried for centuries to extinguish God's people. Couldn't happen. Then the Messiah came, Jesus Christ, started with 12. And one of them didn't pan out. And on the day of the Pentecost, there were 120 in the upper room. The entire Roman Empire, millions of people, the strongest king ever to live. He ruled the world, turned his wrath upon those 120 people, tried to wipe them out. 
we're still here. It didn't happen. And over and over it's happened in communist China, in Russia, over in the Middle East, the Islamic nations, trying to extinguish God's people. And God proves he is the God of history. He's the God that governs man's world and the church will stand. And God's kingdom will stand. And God's counsel will last forever, regardless of man's permission or acknowledgement. You see, despite the best intentions, God's people will continue to thrive on the earth. And that brings me to another point. The mindset and focus of verse 12 involves the church. We look again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, what's, what's the church have to do with that? Well, there's another passage of scripture that we bring into political circles that I want to read the whole passage and get the context of it. Second Chronicles. Chapter 7. Back up to verse 11. Right in the middle of it, there's a real familiar passage of Scripture. Even if you don't know it, you've seen it on yard signs, I'm sure. People have it everywhere, and it's a good thing. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished that all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord in his own house. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer, listen to this, made in this place. What is this place? God's house. Well, you don't have to be in church to pray. I know that. But what did God say? I will show honor on the prayer that is made in this place. For I have chosen and sanctified this house. My name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And when we as a nation ignore the relevance of the church and of God's house, we cannot truthfully say the Lord is our God. Oh, we can say it, but how true is it? How true is it if we say we love the Lord and neglect his church? And did you see what he said? If my people, we look at this and say, we would want that to be our nation. And we make a prayer, but we ignore this place, which is God's house. You see, God wrapped all of this up and says, a nation who loves me will love my church. A nation who loves me. And when the church is being derided, 
scolded, edged out, persecuted by any nation. There is no proclamation that can fix that. And there's no way truthfully we can say the United States of America, the Lord is our God. You see, there's a personal application. As to what we're going to do with the truth, God is the God of all the universe. He is the maker of all things that are made. He's the God of creation. God is the God and commander of man's world. He's the God of all history. And yes, if we love God, God includes his church in his plan. You see, the church, when it's doing its job, has the job of proclaiming the love of God to a nation that hates God and hates the church. And the church has been doing that through the centuries, proclaiming the love of God to a, to a nation that hates the church. Now this comes back to full circle. You see, in Psalms chapter 33, verse 5 says this, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. That word goodness in the original Hebrew, listen how beautiful this is. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And then in this same psalm, it says the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the word of the Lord is right. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, all flesh is the gra as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The wind passes, and it withers away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And this is the word through which the gospel is preached. Did you catch how it all connects? The counsel of the Lord, the word of the Lord will stand forever, and the word of the Lord, all is wrapped up in the gospel. And the gospel message is the good news of the unfailing love of God. And yes, we would say we live in a nation that's hostile to the church, that's hostile to Christianity, that's hostile to God. What do we do with that? Do we get mad? Do we get ugly? Do we get bitter? As the church, our job, present the love of God, the unfailing love of God to a nation that is hostile to God and sometimes to us. That's all wrapped up in the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, it's a personal level, not a political level. What are we going to do? As paraphrased invitational hymn, where do you stand as far as God being the God of creation? In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, By faith we know the world was framed by God. By faith we would believe what God's word says rather than some pop culture scientific fact. It all comes down to who we're going to believe and what are we going to believe. Is there a God? Did God make it? Maybe you're here and you don't know the love of God through Jesus Christ. God is reaching out to you. Regardless of what hostility, indifference, what hatred you may have of God, his love is unfailing and it fills the earth and he loves you more than you hate him.
Would you come to him? Maybe there's another decision you need to make about your spiritual life, another decision that you know needs to be done to make things right with God. Make it this morning as we stand and sing.